0: Trust everyone's doing really good. We had some additional technical difficulties. I tell you, that computer, it like works when it wants to. And then when it doesn't, it just doesn't want to work. So that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? All right. So tonight, um, before we get started, there are a couple announcements I wanted to to share. Um, A lot of them are repeats from last week, but offering envelopes are out there. Um, And again, I shared this last week, but this little blue one is to give some uh, money towards the... Uh, producing of the envelopes or the purchasing to kind of help offset some of those costs. And the other thing to mention to you is you have the envelope set here if you want to give towards that. But then we also have the call to glory. So if you ever end up getting those devotionals um, each month that we have, and usually they're out on the table over here, you can actually give some money towards the purchase of those because the church buys those. And if you um, uh, profit from those and enjoy those and you want to give towards that, you can absolutely do that. Uh, But I remember I came to the church for a number of years and I never realized that that's what that little blue envelope was for. So I want to make sure to share that, share that wealth of wisdom with you. So there's that. Um, The other thing to mention is that this Sunday is the last Sunday for the Christmas offerings for missions. So we have three goals. We have Josh and Denise Stewart towards a uh, property to, to purchase in Trillia, Ireland for a building, for a church building. Rick and Brenda Osborne in Liberia, same sort of thing. They're looking to purchase three acres of land to start a church. And then John and Kathy Honeycutt for Chinese discipleship and evangelism training for Chinese Bibles that have discipleship materials integrated in it. So that way they can just carry around one book, their Bible with their journey lessons built right in. And then church planting initiative in China where they have four pastors that they will train them and give them a way to have funds to support themselves in mainland China uh, to start churches. So all three of these are absolutely fantastic. But I wanted to make sure to let you know that this Sunday is the last Sunday to give towards that so we can get the money off to them uh, for Christmas as a Christmas gift. The last thing I wanted to mention, and I'm sure possibly Pastor Tom will mention this before the prayer meeting tonight, But Eric and Paulina Brown. So, Scott Brown's son Eric um, grew up in Mexico and was in missions with his father and involved in ministry. And um, so, he ended up going to Indiana to pastor to church as a youth pastor and doing music. Well, he's going to be leaving that ministry and they're going to be moving here to this area at the start of the new year. So, this Sunday, they're going to be with us for two weeks just to be with us and be among us and they're going to start scoping out some of the areas and potential job opportunities for him Uh, but they're going to move here and join our church and get discipled and he wants to be trained and wants to be sent out from here as a missionary somewhere Uh, so that's kind of what's in his heart at the moment so but i wanted to share that with you so that way when you see them on uh, this sunday you can just welcome them and love on them Uh, they've got a daughter that's about a year and a half uh, years old and uh, they have a second one on the way. And so they're a young couple that is very, very excited uh, about the Lord, and they're excited to be with us. So that's kind of cool. So Eric and Paulina Brown will be visiting this Sunday and next Sunday, and they'll be with us for a period of time. So, all right, with that said, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will get into our stuff for tonight. I want to make sure that we have plenty of time to work through, especially our second question for tonight. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask the Lord for wisdom. Father, we, uh, we thank you for um, just being our God and being faithful to us. And even in the moments and in the days where we are not faithful to you, uh, you are just very good to us. And so I pray, Lord, tonight as we open up your word, that you would teach us and that you would guide us. And as we look at these questions tonight, that it would really expose maybe some of the things in our own hearts, and our own minds. Things that we struggle with, things that we wrestle with. Uh, ways that we can be more faithful to you as your servants, as your children. And um, and during this season, God, I pray that you would help our hearts and our minds to be fixed and focused upon you, that you would give us open doors and opportunities with family and friends uh, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to invite them to church, to be able to just love on them and have a heart for them. Uh, So, God, we ask that you would use us and help us to see those areas in our life that we need to change our perspective to be better ministers for you. Uh, and So help us tonight. Uh, we rely upon you, and we trust you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight um, I'm going to have to rely on the, the good old clicker, so everything should, should work out, uh, hopefully. But go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So one of the questions, and we're going to probably have maybe two to four more weeks of the Q&A before we start our our next series on uh, the will of God for your life, where we'll go through the seven uh, New Testament areas where it says that this is the will of God for your life. It's a very interesting study. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to talk about communion. And uh, I want to answer this one. This one will be a pretty, I think, easy one to answer, and we can move on to our second question for tonight. But the question is, why do we not observe communion more often? And so this past year was a very different year for us. Typically, as a church, we would observe communion once a quarter. And then this past year, we only did it really the first Sunday of this year. And we're going to be doing it the last Sunday of this year as well. So we only did it once. And so someone asked the question, well, why do we not observe it more? Which I think is a great question. And so I can think it can be simply answered by this, and I'll expand on this a little bit more, that we are commanded by the Lord to observe communion, but the frequency is not specified. You know, this goes into some of our, our, our discussions in your neighbor's faith, where you have a lot of Protestant denominations, that they'll observe communion every single week. And then there's other people that say, no, we do it more than that. And then there's folks who are like, well, we do it, you know, once a month, and So there's no really routine, there's nothing in scripture that actually says that you need to observe it, you know, within a certain frequency. God just gives us the liberty to determine whatever we want to do as a local church. But there are keys to this, because when you think about it, and this is really typical of religion, people like to do things that are very religious because it makes them feel better about themselves, makes them feel better about sin in their life, and it makes them feel closer to God. This is why a lot of people, if you've ever done any research or if you've had discussions with folks that are Catholic, they love, many of them love the traditional services. They like to come in. They love the routine. They love the atmosphere. They like the dress. They like the chanting. They like the candles. They like all these things. They're very drawn to it. And so there's this correlation throughout human history, especially with the Catholic Church, of that that is where God is. When you study things in church history, you even find out that even the architecture of Catholic churches is meant to direct your eyes up towards the ceiling. And so walking into some of those places is absolutely gorgeous when it comes to the architecture and the the artistry and all the things that go into it. So communion can be very much like that. And we have a tendency, all of us, to treat things very religiously. It would be very similar to those of us that we are, we stand so firm on the scriptures, we believe the Bible, we love the Bible, and yet in your daily reading you can become just as religious as a Catholic person going to Mass. That just because you get in your Bible on any given day, you now feel like you're a better Christian because you read God's words or when you pray, or when you evangelize, anything that you do in service for the Lord, we always run the risk of our flesh taking advantage of that and making us feel like we are holy, godly people when that is not how God measures holiness. If he did, he would have had no problems with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Old Testament as they did sacrifice after sacrifice, feast after feast, and they did all these things in the name of God, and yet we find in the Old Testament that God says, I hate And I despise your feasts. I don't like it. It's a stink in my nose because it's your heart attitude. And so one of the things we always have to be careful of is that we need to make sure that our heart is in its proper place when it comes to these things. And so communion is one of those. And it's why I appreciate even Pastor Tom's approach throughout the years towards communion and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it really gives those details and I just kind of wanted to work through this just very briefly. So, first of all, in verse 2 of chapter 11, um, it says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And when you study the scriptures, those ordinances turn out to be two, and that is baptism, according to Matthew 28 in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then communion, which is outlined here, and also in the Gospels, such as in Luke 22, which is another reference I have on your study sheet that you can look up later, where Jesus gave that command to observe these things until he comes. And so jumping down to verse 23, we see it says, "'For I have received of the Lord "'that which also I delivered unto you, "'that the Lord Jesus, the same night "'in which he was betrayed, took bread,' We observe communion to remember Jesus Christ, to remember what he did for us to atone for our sins, and we are supposed to do this until he comes. And so just like giving the gospel, I mean, we can take those things for granted, and you can grow weary about the gospel. The, the, when it comes to communion, communion is supposed to be something that brings you back into remembrance about who you are, who God is what he's done for you, and it should renew a love and appreciation for the Lord. And as a result, then you should want to get right with the Lord and with other people. And that's why it says in verse 27, "...wherefore, whosoever shall eat eat this bread and drink this cup of of the Lord, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself..." And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now this passage, I remember going through this, and I in some of my, my Calvinistic youth leaders back when I was younger, their approach was when you took communion that if there is any sort of sin whatsoever in your life, that you should let the elements pass. This scripture says something completely different because it says in verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. It does not say that if you have anything in your life that's not right with the Lord, let it pass. It says examine and so let him eat. This is one of the reasons why when we do communion, which will come up on the last Sunday of this year, We take a period of time when the elements are passed out for you to spend some purposeful quality time with the Lord to examine your heart, to examine your mind, to examine your life, and for you to make things right with God in that moment. You should never pass the plate, pass along and not take of the elements. Think about that, because this is what you're saying. If you say, okay, I am not worthy, I have this issue in my life, then you're saying, I am not willing to be made right with God. And that is very, very difficult. I mean, if you want to do that, I mean, go ahead and do that. And and maybe there is something major that's going on. Maybe there is. I I can't say that it's never wrong, and maybe I should have worded it a little bit differently. I, I I shouldn't say that there's never a situation, because there might be a serious thing. Like, there might be a genuinely serious thing that you may not be able to in that moment because maybe you need to go and not only get right with God, you need to get right with somebody else, and you're just not physically able to do it in that moment. But if you know that communion is coming, because we talk about it, and we say it's going to be next Sunday, then you should be thinking about this. And if there is anything wrong in your life that you need to make right with the Lord and make right with other people, you have a period of time to be able to do that, so when you come in that you are prepared and ready to take it with a right heart attitude, with the right motives. So there's a lot of folks that have a giant misunderstanding about that one. Uh, And so he says, let him examine himself. So this passage even shows you that it really is about the heart. And so the frequency is not specified. But I also think it's not good to do it so much that you begin to lose the appreciation for it. And so there has to be a balance. So God gives us great liberty, and it's from church to church based on what they want to do. If a church wants to do it every week, they can do it every week. That I would, I would, I would, would be very difficult for me to do. If I was a pastor of a church, I'd have a very difficult time doing it every week. Uh, but it, maybe it is something that you need to do more often. I know that next year we want to have it more often. Um, one of the reasons why we did it just once this year is that one of our friends' uh, churches, it's the one in um, um, uh, Finley, Ohio. Uh, what they were doing is that they only did it once a year, but they make a big deal out of it, like a really, really big deal. And they want their whole church to come and they make it very, very special and very intimate and very just quality time with the Lord. And so that was one of the reasons why we didn't do it as much this year. But now this year has passed and Pastor Tom and I have talked about this in meetings where it's like, ah, we wish we would have done it more this year. So it is on a based on a church by church basis. So, Um, That's really the the heart behind that one. So I wanted to make sure to, to get that one covered. Okay, now let's move on to our next question. Our next question. Are Christians supposed to struggle with depression and anxiety? Now, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians 11. So you're in 1 Corinthians 11, turn to 2 Corinthians 11. So I have to say this first before getting into this one. This is a loaded question, loaded, and so I need to ask for grace and mercy from you in order to answer this properly and biblically, because this is something that is best answered individually and on a case-by-case basis rather than on a general level. There are many Christians that are very quick to just say, oh, no, you should never, it's a sin to da 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 and they get off on all these tangents. And the real answer is, it depends. It really depends. And so I want to try to cover this as much as I can from a high-level perspective, but this is very difficult to answer at a high level, so I want to make sure to spend enough time on it. But it's like every counseling situation. There are certain biblical truths that are just very black and white, but how those principles are lived out in real life, they vary widely from person to person and circumstance to circumstance. And so you have to be very, very careful. And I'll just give you one example of this. So there's two verses that are back to back in the book of Proverbs, verse uh, 4 of chapter 26 and verse 5. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And then verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. (laughs) Which one is correct? The answer is yes, both of them, because it's Scripture. So if you said <laughs> you picked one, you're wrong. They're both correct. But here's, here's the deal. Answer a fool and answer not a fool. Going back one, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. When a person is a fool and you try to answer them according to their folly, you run the risk of being just like them because there's a lot of times you'll get into arguments and then you look just as foolish as they do and it is absolutely fruitless. But then there are circumstances where you should answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Because if you don't actually confront them and tell them what's going wrong and why they're so foolish, then they're going to think that they're right. So when do you do it? That's a great question. You can answer that one. I think that's a great Q&A question right there. It depends. It really depends. It's on a case-by-case basis. It's on a person-by-person basis. There are times where it's appropriate to answer a fool, and there's times where it's not appropriate to answer a fool. And so you need to have wisdom and discretion and discernment to know which one is the right one to do. And this is where things get difficult. And a lot of these things have to be learned through experience. And so the experience with this one is that, oh yeah, I've been there. I've tried to answer a fool and I've looked like a fool. (laughs) And there are times where I should have opened my mouth and I didn't. And then they thought that they were right and I was deeply convicted. This topic is very similar to that. And so this is why I need your grace and I need your mercy to try to be able to answer this in the proper fashion. So this same spirit kind of goes with my next statement that I was thinking about this one is that this question in this venue at a high level is what we got to do, but I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this one. And so if there's any further questions that you have or you need additional clarification, you can definitely ask me uh, afterward or another point in time. Um, But we just want to answer this at at a high level. So just please be gracious with me on this one. So first of all, some level of emotional struggle and stress is a normal part of life. Now, this is common sense, but we have to begin here. If we're going to try to talk about this from a broad perspective, we have to address this. There is just struggles and there are stresses that are just part of being alive and living the life that we have. This is one of the reasons why, um, maybe, there we go, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, we all go through things in our life and God is very good to us and this is a, this is a verse that is a comfort to my heart where God says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I love this verse so much because it really shows me that the heart that God has for me, that there are things that deeply, deeply disturb me and hurt me and that I'm worried and that I care for. And God says, cast that upon me because I care for you. Those things that worry you, that that are burdens to you, they are burdens to the Lord. And this is what comes with just a loving God, loving us as children, being in his family. And frankly, this is how we are in our own households. When there are burdens that your loved ones have, you have a part of that burden just because you care about that person. And so this is normal. And this is always going to be a part of life. There's nothing that's going to allow us to escape this or anything like that. And so that's just part of it. This can easily be seen, too, in 1 Corinthians 7 where it says, he's talking about marriage, Paul's talking about marriage here, and he says, but I would have you without carefulness, so there's that full of care, that he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing, because he explains that in great detail in the context of chapter 7. That just because you're married doesn't mean that you're sinning against God, it just comes with the territory, the moment that I got married, I now have to care for my wife. And there are things that, that my family needs. And so I want to be able to meet those needs. That's part of my responsibility. One of my biblical responsibilities as a husband. And so I have to be worried about the things in the world. You know, worrying about finances, worrying about health care, worrying about where we're going to live, how we're going to eat, how we're going to, like all those things, that comes with it, that comes with that territory. So there is a level of emotional struggle and stress Uh, and anxiety. They're just part of of normal life. And similar things could be said about Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, because it says very clearly that children should obey their parents, and parents should bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which means it's going to be difficult. Like even in Colossians, it says that you're not supposed to provoke them to wrath, which means that we're going to want to do that, because children oftentimes don't do what we tell them to do, the first, second, third, fourth, twentieth thousandth time that we tell them to do it. And so then we want to react and, and that causes great stress and it can bring great stress in the household. So God is good to us to give us biblical principles in Ephesians and Colossians and other places like that to know how should we respond properly so we're not reacting in the flesh. But those things just happen and there can be stress, frustration, anxiety, and it can overwhelm us. We often want to make very quick decisions and because those quick decisions really appear to be a way out when they're not the godly way to actually deal with that circumstance. So God is good to help us with those things from his word. The second thing that we have to talk about is that persecution, stress, and difficulties are a natural consequence of a faithful Christian life. So you're already going to have stress just by living. So welcome to the world. And then when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ and now you're living in enemy territory— and now you are a brand new creature with one of your greatest enemies that stares you in the mirror every single day, immediately when you wake up in the morning, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yay, which I love how it even starts off with that. Yeah, (laughs) all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Living godly comes at a cost. And it can be persecution, discomfort, stress, anxiety, frustration, all these things. And yet, and yet, it should bring great peace inside of your heart as well. Because I know how it works in my life that when when I am good with God, things can be falling around me and things can be a disaster. But if I'm okay, if me and God are okay, then I can deal with it. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy for sure. But if I know that I have peace with God, then at least I can hang on to that. So this is part of just the normal Christian life. And as a result, in Titus 2.12, it says, teaching us that if you're going to live godly, it's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in in this present world. Not pleasant, present world. So if you are going to make decisions that I am not going to be ungodly, I am not going to go after these lusts, these worldly lusts, and that I am going to live soberly, I'm going to think right, I am going to live righteously, I'm going to make good decisions, godly decisions, biblical decisions, and I want to be godly, I want to be like the Lord, what decisions would he make, how would he think about this, that's what I want to adopt. In this present evil world, you're going to have issues, it's going to come against you, and so that's part of our Christian life. And a great example, I mentioned this last week when we were talking about discerning the difference in between our emotions and of God is leading us and our feelings and all that. I thought about this verse and I wanted to throw it back in because Jesus, when he was going to the cross, talk about anxiety, talk about stress, talk about a weight that was very difficult to deal with. You think about, I mean, dealing with your own sins is difficult enough, is it not? I mean, when you sit down and you really consider the weight of your sin... It can be majorly depressing, majorly depressing. Now, the Son of God, who knew no sin, never once thought or did anything against God. Now he is going to the cross to bear the weight of the sin of every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. And so he's in this moment in the garden. He's saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He is such a perfect example, a perfect servant for us to follow after, that there might be things in your obedience to God that you just don't want to do. You just don't want, I don't, I don't want to do this. And God, if you would be willing, please just remove this cup. That would be fantastic. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It always comes back down to your heart attitude, always. And if you remember, if you remember, and this kind of even goes back a little bit to our communion question, when you remember what God has done for you, you can do anything for the Lord, no matter what it is. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says something very similar, um, we're, we're there right now, so I wanted to show you these verses. These are, these are really, really good. And so Second Corinthians 11, in verse 23, we'll pick it up in there. Um, he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. So he's going to be speaking, uh, not foolishly, but he's speaking as a fool. He's like, I am more. I'm more of a minister of Christ. Well, how is that proven out? What was the fruit of that? In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. "...in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." So he went through all that and all these things on the outside that would be very difficult for us to deal with. And then he talked about the internal struggle of just caring for all these churches and wanting them to walk with the Lord. And then his conclusion in verse 29 was, who is weak and I am not weak? Of course, I understand what it means to be weak. Who is offended and I burn not? I mean, can you imagine the things that Paul went through that was offensive to him? I mean, how many times have you met Christians that are just not mature and they just flippantly say things that are very offensive to you and they have no idea what they're doing. So you're going to come unraveled and just unload on them? Or are you going to be gracious towards them, understanding they don't have a clue of what they're talking about, and maybe be someone that can help them to mature in, that, in the process of walking with the Lord? That's what Paul had to deal with all the time, all the time. And it took great patience for him to be able to do that. And that's why he says in verse 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. So Paul went through it. It comes with the Christian walk. It's just part of it. But frankly, when you remember the gospel, you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you can do anything for the Lord. You can endure anything for the Lord when it comes to your Christian walk. The next thing that I have to talk about in this topic is that the battle rages in the mind. And this is really where the battlefield takes place. And if any of us, even today, I'm sure many of us struggled with something and it really started in our mind. And so there are many passages of Scripture that God gives us to talk about these things. This is another great one that I try to remember often. Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. When you trust in the Lord and your mind is fixed on him, you can have perfect peace. It's not always easy, but you can have it. Isaiah 26.3 is a great verse to memorize. Turn over with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is another great passage to keep in mind and to remember. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 6 through 9. Be careful, be full of care for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Verse six is very powerful. God tells us that we are not supposed to be full of care over anything, but in everything. So that means even all of those things that you are full of care over, that you should be praying about it. You should be giving God supplications that you're asking him, that you're approaching him about those things with thanksgiving, checking your heart attitude about it. Let your request be made known unto God. That God wants to hear you. That when you are struggling, and you are overwhelmed, and there are things that are just difficult to deal with, don't deal with them alone. Don't. The Lord wants you to deal with those things with Him. That's very important to understand. Many of us, when we get overwhelmed, we don't talk to God. We just don't. And sometimes our minds can spin out of control. And we just lose control of our emotions rather than going to the one who made you and who knows you better than you know yourself. He should be the first person you run to. He should be the first person that you run to. That includes people that you trust in your life. Many people get frustrated and they get worried and they're full of care and they run to other people. And they might eventually end up at God's doorstep but they just don't do that. It's just quick to go to someone. And I I get it because when you go to somebody, there's an immediate sense of comfort that you get from just that individual, especially if they care for you. But God should be the very first place. Never forget that when you are born again, the spirit of the living God that lives inside of you is called the comforter. He is the comforter. And his words have been written by that Spirit who is called the Comforter. So when you open up your Bible, it should be a comfort to you. Now, there are times that it can be cutting, and it's the double-edged sword, and it can hurt. But the Spirit of God does not want to hurt you. If He hurts you, it's to heal you. So you need to remember that. Sometimes we have to be comforted through pain because we're just being disobedient. But the end result is always going to be what's best. So remember that. You have to remember that. Verse 7, and the peace of God. So once you have the right attitude towards God and you've approached him, you're talking with him, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God wants to help you in this. You were not made to struggle with these things alone. You might feel alone in the process, but you are never alone. Never, never, never. And then how else can we deal with these things? Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Many times when our emotions are getting out of hand, we don't think about the things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, no virtue, no praise. We're thinking about whatever's going on. And God says, you need to redirect your mind. You need to redirect your your heart back to me and about those things that are true. And many times these things spin out of control because they are vain imaginations. They are things that are not true. And going back to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit of God is also called the Spirit of Truth. And He has promised to guide you into all truth. It's so important that you are leaning upon Him. And then verse nine, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. And here's the key word right here. I've circled it in my Bible on purpose. Do, and the peace, the God of peace shall be with you. Those things that you know that are right, that you've seen other godly men and women model for you, you do those things. Put it into action. Don't just agree with it in your mind or with your words. You actually do it And God says that he, the God of peace, shall be with you. These things require great meditation because the battle rages in our mind. And I think a great example of this is David. David, the man after God's own heart, wrote so many different Psalms that it seems like he's just all over the place with his emotions. Like all over. And in Psalm 42... He's struggling and he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? And then it's almost like he flips a switch. Hope thou in God. It's almost like he's talking to himself. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That when you look to the Lord and you see him for who he is, it helps you. And just knowing God and his countenance towards you and what the truth is, it will help you. And then later on in verse 11, why art thou cast down o my soul and why art thou disquieted within me hope thou in God for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So the progression from verse 5 to verse 11 is that I'm looking unto God and his countenance and then as a result then that changes my countenance. And that's what happens when we yield to the Lord not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, especially in times of great difficulty and great stress and great anxiety. But you've got to understand that God is not a liar. He's not. And that he will help you and he's available to help you. That is so critical. So critical. We don't have time to get into Matthew 6, but I wish we could because Matthew 6, he's like, don't care for this. Don't care for that. Don't care for these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. This is another great one that we need to talk about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So 2 Corinthians 10 talks about this battle in our mind. This is such a good set of verses. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And that can be so difficult. We walk in this flesh and we want to do things in this flesh in order to fix things. And that just, it just doesn't work. And so he shows us well what will work. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When it comes to things in your life that are strongholds, things that you feel like you can't get past, You cannot fight the flesh with the flesh. It is not possible. You can't do it. It will not work. It might temporarily work, and you might think that you see some success, but it's never going to be long-term, and eventually you're going to get burnt out. It has to be dealt with spiritually, and that's the way it has to be, or else it's never going to be something that can be dealt with. And so these pulling down of strongholds only happens through God, and so how does this work out? Verse five, casting down imaginations. These are those vain imaginations, these empty things that are not true, they're lies. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that comes against the knowledge of God is a lie. Only lies come against the knowledge of God. So that means you need to know the truth. You need to know this knowledge that comes from the word of God. And you have to recognize that's not true. And this is especially true with your feelings. And this is why it deeply ties into what we talked about last week, because our feelings can deceive us. I mean, they can. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And we talked about that at length last week. And so what you have to do is you have to recognize that's a lie. And the only way that you can know that that's a lie is because you know that this is the truth. And so if you know these things are true, then now you can come against those things that are lies. So you cast down those imaginations and those high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. So rather than it controlling you, you control it, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Again, key word, obedience, obedience, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. One of the patterns that you see in Haggai, it's in chapter one. And what God does is he says, he gives these prophets these words and he says, all right, I need you to go and I want you to just stop sitting on your duff. That's more or less paraphrased. And I want you to go and I need you to keep building this temple. So go up and get wood and bring it back down and build the temple and I will be glorified in it. Now, they didn't necessarily want to, but then this prophet says, no, you need to go do this. So they got up and they went and did it. And as they did it, it says that the Spirit of God stirred in them after that they obeyed in order for them to complete the job at hand. Oftentimes, as Christians, we want to feel it before we obey. Good luck. It's not going to work. That's not how life works with the Lord. There are many times in the morning when I get up that I do not think about God first. (gasps) I don't. I don't. I I, I think about me. That's what I do because we're all selfish and self-centered. And oftentimes when we get up, that's what's staring us in the face. There are many times in the morning or when I get into the office when I know I haven't spent time in God's Word yet where I sit down, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. Do I have time to actually open up the Bible and actually, and I fight if I fight it. But here's what I find. When I yield to, yes, I need to spend quality time with God today. Forget about everything else that's going on. I need to spend time with God. Every time, it's great. Every time, it's good. Every time. Every single time. And I'm like, why did I I struggle with this? Why? It's because of my flesh. It's because of me being convinced by my own flesh that I don't have time for God. Like, I... It, it, we're, we're weird people. <laughs> this flesh is just ugly and it's bad. <laughs> so we need to acknowledge what is true. And even on days where you struggle, you know what I do? God, I'm struggling. I don't want to get in your word right now. I just don't. And I know it's not right. I hate even telling you this. Can you change my heart? And when I read your word, can you teach me? Like that, just even praying that now, it hurts me. And it changes my attitude towards God about things in my life. And so if we're just honest with God about it, he is faithful to meet us where we are and to teach us and to guide us. And so this battle that rages in the mind, he knows it. And he knows that we are but dust. And he knows that we're weak. And so if we're just honest with him, he will be at our side. And he will help us every step of the way. Okay. Now the big one. Lastly, there is a place for medicinal treatments, but they come with great risk. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this again, very broadly. And this is something that is is definitely person by person, case by case. There are some pastors and ministries that take a very liberal view and they rely far too much and far too quickly on medications. And this would include Western and Eastern medicines, and worldly psychological methods and etc. They are very quick to do it. And there's other pastors and ministries that take an extremely conservative view to say that there is no case where medicinal interventions are acceptable. They would say that prayer, the Bible, and your faith in God is all you need. And if you still struggle, then it is your lack of faith. And there must be something wrong with your walk with the Lord. And I want to tell you tonight that neither one is correct. Neither one is 100% correct. Could the issue actually be lack of faith and trust in God and not truly seeking the Lord in prayer and through the Word and not being obedient to the Lord? Absolutely. That could be it. Absolutely. I mean, there are some people that are wired with more of a disposition towards negativity, that they can have more of a depressed mindset. They can have additional anxieties. And the truth of it is that they're going to have to work hard, harder than others, in order to keep these things underneath in submission to the Lord. They're going to have to. And so you have to recognize if that's something that you struggle with. And it may not be that there's necessarily something wrong with you. It just means that that's one of your weaknesses. I mean, just like someone could struggle with alcohol or drug abuse or, or anger or, or, or elements of pride or lust or, or whatever the case might be. We all have certain sinful dispositions. And just because someone has this over that doesn't mean that they're better or worse than the other. We all struggle. And we all have our things that we have to yield to the Lord on a daily basis, and sometimes moment-by-moment basis. It could even be materialism. Some people have super addictive tendencies. Some people, like myself, can be people pleasers, and I have to watch out for that. I have to be very careful with those things. I have to make sure that I'm yielded to the Lord. There could be a situation where someone goes through trauma And they need temporary or short-term assistance to get to a better state mentally, emotionally, and physically. That is absolutely the case. I mean, think about just a couple. And these are just a few examples. Again, high level. Consider war vets that experience the horrifying tragedies of war, combat, torture, imprisonment, and more. And then they have to be acclimated back into regular life. That's not easy. A lot of guys re-enlist and go on deployment after deployment because they don't want to deal with life here as a common person. They just can't handle that. It brings them great stress and anxiety. There are so many things that people aren't just willing to consider. It's one of the evils of our generation, frankly, is that they don't, they're not considerate enough of other people. They don't put themselves in other people's situation. Or consider the loss of a child or a spouse. Or an other close loved one. And they have the process of that deep grief. And, and they need to progress forward in life. And some people, in their ignorance, they may not ever say it. They're like, well, shouldn't they be over it by now? I mean, come on. This is real life. People have deep, deep hurts. And you can't say that there's never a case where they need help. I can't do that. It's, it, would, it would be just terrible on my part. I, can't, I, couldn't, I could never do that. Or what about a horrifying accident of any kind that makes it hard to sleep or just to rest or to return to normal life? That can be difficult to deal with. It doesn't mean that they have a lack of trust in God necessarily, but they might need help to get them to a place where they can actually function normally. Or could it be that there are some people... They have genuine imbalances, and they're not able to function properly without long-term treatments. Absolutely. That there are genuine mental health and, and mental illness issues. Or think about this from this perspective. What about hospice care or end-of-life care? I mean, when people are struggling and they're in pain, I mean, death is horrifically painful. And so what do hospice nurses have to do? They have to give them medication to keep them comfortable so that way they can pass peacefully. I mean, there's so much to this. There's so much to this. And I think there's a lot of people that just in their ignorance of, of you know, they, they want to stand on their principles and they, they're just being idiots. They don't consider other people and other circumstances and they don't. This is why counseling can be so difficult and this is why these circumstances are not easily answered. This is why a lot of times when I'm, when I'm in the hospital or if I'm in a counseling session, like, I, don't, I don't know what to say sometimes. I mean, would you? I mean, could you look at someone across from your desk that is struggling deeply with some mental issues and tell them, oh, pff, you just don't have a, enough faith in God? So we need to be careful with this kind of stuff. We just really need to be careful. But it does come with some great risks. Turn with me to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, and we need to look at Proverbs 23. Proverbs 31, verse 6 and 7. So I use this passage quite often to talk about the biblical understanding of alcohol and how it is not acceptable for us um, to be able to drink as kings in the service of of the Lord because we are kings and priests of the Lord according to Revelation 5 verse 10. But there is a place for alcohol and other medicinal things and God outlines it very clearly. Verse 6, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. There is a time and a place for medicinal use of things to help individuals. Those of heavy hearts, those that are ready to perish. You know, I've used the example before that if I was in the the back jungle somewhere and I needed emergency surgery, I would not do that sober. I've not taken a drink of alcohol. I don't drink. I've never really gotten drunk. I've never gotten drunk in my life. I think there was one time that I took a sip of wine when I was younger, and that was it. But outside of that, that's never been an issue for me. But I know for sure that if I was in that situation and I need emergency care, I would drink alcohol because I needed it. I'm not getting cut open. I am not, I'm not. I'm standing on my biblical principles for the Lord. Just cut me open. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I won't. I won't do that. And neither would you. If you felt that way, then you would never take anesthesia for anything. And so that's very important for you to understand. There is a time and a place for it. But when it comes to this medicinal intervention, it comes with a risk. And this is important. Look at Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. And we're going to start off in verse 29. Because notice it says, those that be of heavy heart. So you can see this at the very beginning at verse 29. Who hath a woe? Who hath a sorrow? Who hath contentions? Could that not be those of heavy hearts? It absolutely could be. So, who hath a woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again." So there is a huge risk if you're trying to deal with certain things by medicinal purposes because there are some folks that don't want to deal with the issues of life. They don't want to deal with convictions of the Spirit of God. And they run from it and they turn to things that will numb the pain. That is not good. And that is where it comes at a great risk. So you have to approach this from a proper perspective. And so to answer this question, and, I, and I'll and i go back to this again, it varies from person to person and from situation to situation. And I do believe that there is sound biblical advice on how to approach this. And again, broadly speaking, because again, this is something that's highly individualized. You should love and seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in prayer and in the scriptures. You've got to do that. You have to do that. You should seek true accountability you should be seeking godly counsel from trusted leaders and your pastor or pastors. And after you've exhausted all their options, then diligently inquire about medical help. But remember, this is important, with a clear conscience before God and man. This is, this is deep. This is important to understand and very complex. And have the idea that the goal of it should only be temporary, but you need to be wise about this because we live in a time where the medical field can be your greatest enemy or your greatest asset. There's too many doctors that are quick to just prescribe whatever when there's other things that are going on. I mean, we know this from firsthand experience and I'm sure some of you do too. How many of you have ever gone to the doctor and you have a genuine problem and the doctor looks at you and the data and all the stuff that they see and say, well, nope, you're perfectly fine. And yet, you know that you're not. I mean, we live in a day where you have to be self-educated and that can even be dangerous because then you start running to Google or whatever search engine that you want and you start self-diagnosing things and you could get your head so full of information that you think it's this when that may not actually be it at all. So here's the point. Can you before the Lord with a clear conscience know that you have done everything in your power between you and the Lord? Have you genuinely prayed about it? Have you genuinely saw it? Have you genuinely gone through all these things? And if you and God are good, there, there is room for medicinal treatment. There is, there is, there has to be. I mean, again, this goes back to the same sort of situation with counseling. We are here to help people. We want people to move forward with the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes, things are so hard and difficult That we would be fools as pastors and leaders to tell them, oh, it's just because of your lack of faith in God. So we need to be extremely, extremely careful about these things. Extremely careful. Galatians 6, this is a great chapter. You can read it later, but I just want to share two verses out of Galatians 6. It says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are supposed to bear one another's burdens. And that is something that is so important in the church, to be able to bear one another's burdens. But at the same time, verse 5 says, for every man shall bear his own burden. There are certain things that only people can carry. There are certain burdens that only they can, can move forward and they have to deal with and they have to work through it. But we, as the body of Christ, are supposed to bear one another's burdens. And as we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're loving them as God does. And we need to be with them every step of the way. So this is something that's complex. I wanted to answer it. I wanted to answer it as honestly as I could. I hopefully did a good job. But if there's any sort of clarification whatsoever, please do not hesitate to come and ask because this is not an easy one to cover. But it is one that we all need to be extremely careful with. Extremely careful with. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Uh, We thank you for just the um, opportunity that we get as brothers and sisters to minister and to love one another, especially in dealing with very difficult uh, circumstances. Um, and Father, I, I pray that you would always give us the wisdom because we're always approaching you and asking you for wisdom and guidance and discernment. Uh, and so Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that these things just keep stirring in our heart tonight and if there's anything that's going on with anybody in this room, that they would uh, just approach you and just be honest with you about these things. And, um, and they wouldn't let the day go without dealing with something if they really need to deal with it. And Lord of God, I pray that we'd be more empathetic with each other. Um, that we would be more understanding and more considerate. This world is becoming more self-focused every day. And that's something that we have to fight all the time. And if we're going to be able ministers of the New Testament, we have to think like you think. And you love this world. And you gave yourself for this world. And, and we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for each other. So... Lord, help us. We need you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.